Good morning. My name is Angel Rutledge, and I'm part of the Plaza Midwood Community Group. Uh, this morning's reading comes from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means Well of the Living One Who Sees Me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. This is the word of the Lord. We continue in our American Idols um, sermon series. And um, for part two, um, this is just, I would describe it as um, tying up some loose ends from yes, last week's sermon. Um, and we stay in the Old Testament and in the same family um, that we looked at last week. Last week we followed Lot, and this week his uncle Abraham and Aunt Sarah, now Sarai, and Abram were their names before the promise of God was completely codified. Um, but I'm going to say Sarah and Abraham a little bit in there too. So, And I have to appeal, um, I have to rather level um, with you before um, we go any further. This is a topical sermon. 
So I'm going to let this passage piggyback, right, on the general truths of this story. To make points about something that is not specific to the text. In other words, this passage is not about the idol of sexuality, but gives us lessons that can definitely be applied to it. With that said, there are two things um, we can learn today, we're going to look at today in dealing and struggling with the American idol of sexuality from this story. First, our human fixes for the idol of sexuality are not enough. And secondly, the Lord's blessings for the idol of sexuality are more than enough. Not enough, but his more than enough. For Abraham and Sarah, as we read, it seemed like God had forgotten. Like God had failed just 10 years before this, with them now at the ripe old age of about 85, God had promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations that he would be a blessing, that that nation would be a blessing to the world. And that's hard to believe when you are 85 and your wife is 76. And you have been barren all this time. But here's the point. God said it. That that, that blessing would come from a God-blessed and designed sexual union. As a matter of fact, in the chapter before this one, God tells Abraham his heirs would not be adopted, but be of his seed. In other words, from his DNA. But God did not directly say at this point what his wife Sarah's role in it would be. And so like a good wife, right? And desiring the blessing to come to fruition, Sarah followed the cultural code of Hammurabi, right? The the way Asiatic people did it back then, which allowed for a female servant, in this case Hagar, to be used as a surrogate. And the child born to Hagar would belong to Sarah, the mother of the house, the, the first wife. And let me let you know, this is a good plan, a, a normal cultural, uh, culture of the day, a, a good human plan to deal with her physical, sexual barrenness and brokenness. And with Sarah not having a commandment yet or expectation yet against surrogate slaves having your children, she didn't know. And with not knowing and not seeking to know and not believing, she she never goes to God and says, God, is this what you want me to do? She then takes matters into her own hands, right? Into her own mind and and just figuring it out for herself. She's doing the best she can with who she is and what she has. It not only didn't heal the deep issues of her sexuality, feeling useless and deep, not wanted and and maybe feeling like a disappointment, insecure and, and, and a failure. But as we can see, it made things worse for her, for Hagar, for Abraham. Look at what happens in verse 4 through 6 again with me. It says this, So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarah with contempt. 
Then Sarah said to Abraham, sorry, I'm not really reading it, right? Their names, right? This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. But now, she, now that she's pregnant, she treats, treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham replied, look, she is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar finally ran away. Like Sarah, let me let you know, in every case, in every good normal handling, managing, covering, and feeding of our sexuality according to our human leanings and understandings or instincts or, or the social and, and legal freedoms, you and I are sure to miss and be messy with ours, right? When we consider our physiology, our issues, our condition, our histories, and our world, and we begin to hear these, you know, the stuff from the Bible, especially with the church is saying, thou shalt not, and, and words like fornication, right? They, they are less than heavenly hope, and they sound more like foolishness. They are words some out-of-place old-school aunt uses in inappropriate ways at inappropriate times, right? It doesn't fit the code of our day. The cold maybe you grew up with. The cold that you, you know, some of us have never been exposed to any sort of biblical sexuality or, or know what's right or wrong or, or even believe or know who created our bodies and, and actually think that that person had something to say about it. Many of us don't know all that the Bible has to say about this. And we talked about this last week in large part because the church, we pastors, we ministers have not preached on it. Like Sarah, therefore, we think that's nice, God and all, but God must have misspoke and was talking about the good people, not damaged, not oversexed, and still not fulfilled people like me. I've got to take care of these things myself and my way. I, you know, I mean, God, have you looked at what is going on lately in this world? And you are silent. I, I, I never heard what you thought anyway. I mean, things are so complex. My stuff's complex, right? In me, in my world sexually, that uh, God's way, whatever that is, because I don't really know. The Bible stuff on sexuality is, is like the dial-up of sexual fulfillment, right? It takes too long. It has too many glitches. It carries all kind of mess. It takes away our ability to be in control. It says, wait, for what, right? It doesn't have the bandwidth for my sexual needs and desires and just increases the sexual anxiety to a boiling point. So what do we want? We want a new network provider for our sexual bandwidth. Let's face it. And it's slow development in its hard world, word, road, and in our utter failure to follow it, the non-normal, this sort of elevated Bible stuff, um, <laughs> Bible's view of sexuality and marriage feels stupid, right? It, it's the five-inch floppy. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> I can say three and a half inch too, right? With all the scary words and, 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 well, words that used to be scary, right? Fornication, adultery. It just doesn't fit in any of our drives, if you will. 
And it definitely, definitely can't handle, again, the complex data of our sexual issues, not to mention its abusive misuse by the so-called God doors over the years. It was Christians that started the whole kind of mean-sided base ex-gay movement, right? That said, you know, you, you, have to be, you, you have to be completely different in order to be accepted, right? Who drove people to suicide. It wasn't that the message? That's what I remember about Christian message about sexuality. I remember it leaving me in a lot of shame. I remember it making me do everything in the dark and then look holy in the light. That's what I remember. I mean, I've tried it. It's not worth feeling like a constant failure in life. That's ancient determined to no longer be an educated and healthy view of sex and sexuality. I got to get mine now. I've heard that. I'm just a man, right? God's word and plan has become an obstacle and a place of shame and condemnation to his own promise and plan. So we look for a surrogate. Something that you can control and call up for satisfaction like Sarah with Hagar, a person, a video, a magazine, an affair, a non-marriage, a hookup, a one-off sexual favor, a at least we're not doing that kind of dating relationship. You know, we're pretty good. We didn't have sex before we got married, but you did everything else, right? One of those convenient things. I know Christians are great at that one. Oh, my gosh. You know how many times I get asked, Pastor Brown, what can we do and cannot do? <laughs> You're asking the wrong question. Because as soon as you say, we're going to go do it, right? No. The idol of sexuality offers freedom to handle your own sexuality, your own brokenness, your way, and gives you a short-to-fail temporary surrogate sexuality that will turn out to not be enough to fulfill your sexuality of that, uh, your sexuality and that of those around you. Speaking in an interview, I can't believe it's been two years, but in an interview a couple of years ago, Megan the Stallion discussed a controversy and criticism surrounding the song WAP, and why she thinks it took place. Some people, she says, some people just don't know what to do when a woman is in control and taking ownership of her own body. I feel like for too long, men felt like they own sex, and now women are saying, hey, this is for me. I want pleasure. This is how I want it or don't want it. It freaks men out. And she adds, it just comes from a place of fear and insecurity. Like, why would anybody be mad about my sexuality? It belongs to me. And then earlier, later in an article, Megan responded to the right-wing backlash the song received. When I saw all of the politicians in an uproar about mine and Cardi B's song and sexual propriety, I was just taken back, she told Time Magazine. Like, why is this your focus right now? If you have an issue with what I'm saying, don't listen to me. Tune out, because I didn't ask you to tune in. This might surprise you. But on one hand, Megan's right. No woman, because she is a woman, should be enslaved by her own sexuality for expressing, liking, and living out her appetites, rejecting direction of 
equally broken sexually alpha males. No woman should be controlled by the colds of the day like Hagar that would disempower and then ironic, ironically sexually exploit them. I believe the Bible condemns the sexual exploitation and false beauty control of women by the power abuses and urges and urges womanist. I believe it urges womanist theological perspectives. We did hear from our women. But please don't confuse Megan the Stallion and her song with a biblical devotion or meditation on how our sisters are freed from this type of power abuse. Right? I cannot recommend its lectio or visio presentations as divino. Right? It's a little Latin for you. In fact, now that I mentioned it, please don't pull it up on your phone. I was scared to even bring it up, but y'all don't probably watch it enough. And that's not a joke. That's terrible, but yeah. I'm not going to criticize the song beyond saying it's just what she's saying. It's just not enough. It is not explicit or illicit enough for how broken we are and have become by the way we treat each other and been treated sexually within the power structures of relationships. Megan, Cardi, you're right, but it's not enough. We need more. We need more. You don't see it as bad as it is. You think you do? We need more. More exposure to what's going on inside of us. Like Sarah and Hagar learned, our sexual prowess, possession, and powerful self-control of it is not enough to fix our brokenness and all the oppression and emptiness and mess that comes with it. Not enough to deal with our sexual abuse. Not enough to deal with feeling like as a woman, you better be ready to give it up if you want to be in a committed relationship any length of time. Not enough to deal with the sex trafficking and mental and emotional destruction and contempt impressed in us. It's not enough to deal with all the centuries of, of sexual institutional exploitation and neglect of our brothers and sisters. You can't be sexually fruitful like Hagar and sexually compromising, giving like Sarah and Switzerland-like acting like Abraham to reverse this twist and pain of relationships. I mean, think about all the issues of unplanned pregnancies or affairs or hookups or, or body image lies and false standards and, and baby mama drama and AWOL fathers like Abraham's responses express. You and I are standing in a place of power and seeking to take control of our sexuality by trying to enslave it ourselves, hate on it ourselves, and eventually get lost in it ourselves. And when you are lost, and at the end of your failed attempts, we all been here. After a new song comes on like that and gives you a sense of pride, and then a week later it's gone. <laughs> oh, I'm with them. Power. And a couple of days later, mistreated, allowing yourself to be mistreated sexually still enslaved in your mind, in your heart, it's not enough. The best human songs and the best human-driven 
thinking is not enough. That, though, is when you will be in the best position to see and know that you need and actually want more than you can get for yourself. Right there is when you come to a place where you know that God wants to bless us through and for our sexual brokenness. The answer for us, broken sexuality, doesn't happen when things are good. Did you know that? Oh, I I don't struggle with that anymore. God's going to bless me, right? The answers for a broken sexuality doesn't happen when things are all good or you are in power or in control. Sarah was in complete control and still made a mess of it. It's not, it, it, it's not when you got a good thing going managing and taking care of your urges, and, urges and, and keeping it away from messing up your family and marriage and deficiencies and pains and, and we have it under control. God, when we look at Scripture, God refuses to bless our human attempts so that we can experience the love and power of His. Look at verses 5 through 8. Gee whiz. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. Now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And that, that meant that she was walking around with a big stomach and also believing Sarah is in her way of climbing to be the first lady. Okay, just want to let you all know that. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so you deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. It says this, though. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah replied. I want you to know what it means for Hagar to run away. Back then, she would have no protection, no value. She could have been enslaved by somebody harsher. She could have been killed or die, her and her son. She was running to a lie of hopelessness. She'd given up. But here's the amazing thing. Hagar kind of, let me tell you right th- at this point, she's a foil. I mean, she, she's no, not a foil. She's a representative of the whole situation now. She represents Sarah and Hagar and Abraham, right? And, and, and they are hopeless so far as concerns the results of their sexuality. I mean, they just give in to not trying or, or saying no use or, or manipulation and power abuse. They're straight hopeless. C- can I let you know? Like many of you, I run here all the time. I live here all the time. When I think about my, my children and my marriage and my personal sexuality and, and yours, and when I look at the world, you know what we've done? Because I do it. I personally have negotiated hopeless places and chapters in my life. I've made room and decided that sometimes I have to take journeys to sexual hopelessness for the idol of sexuality. 
I want you to know this, especially those who may not be believers. Believers sometimes, more often than not, have a built-in plan, an expectation, and sort of like a vacating, a vacation in that particular area of their lives. I mean, it's a, there's a reason why we don't talk about it. We like to talk about wins. We like to talk about victory. This area of our lives is such a struggle that we vacate to it. We live with this area, this space in place of hopelessness in our lives. And God doesn't live there. He doesn't come there. But we're able to live there because we can always go to the next place. We can come to church. We can make ourselves feel better. But we kind of have this dark area of hopelessness in our lives. It's built in. It's part of our Christianity. I mean, I've had so many conversations with with believers and folk who want to live moral, believers aren't the only ones who want to live moral. Let me let you know that, okay? Man, there probably is no more moral a people than like Muslims are more moral than we are in some ways. And let's see. The Latter-day Saints. You ever been to Utah? I mean, them folk moral. So much so, they'll throw their kids into the street if they ain't good. Moral. So Christians ain't the only ones who moral. So many of us have given up hope. We don't expect anything to actually fix what is hungry way deep to fix the porn. We just make space for it. It's just part of the schedule. We forget trying they win. It's too harsh on me. Like Hagar, it's just too much. Hookup culture, I give in. No answer. Too good. Nothing better. The scars of my sexual abuse, forget it. The injustice I feel because of the untraditional attractions in my sexuality. I like Hagar, I'm just going to get mistreated. I'll hide it. I'll lie. I'll run in hopelessness. But look at the rest of chapter, of this chapter. Look at verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. That's good news. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry, the cry of, 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 of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that, what, what, that the well was named Angel said it so much better. Berlahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it's still there to this day, right? What does God intend and want and do for sexually hopeless and broken people? That's everybody. 
for you and me. He wants to bless us right there. In the hopeless place. That's where the blessings of God come. They don't come on the other side of the desert. They come in the broken place, in and through our broken and rebellious place even. I used to interpret the words about Ishmael wrongly. I've always seen this as a negative thing or declaration about our son. As long as I've been reading the Bible, even through seminary and all that, I always read this as something bad and thought it was about the Arabic people and Muslims and their fighting spirit and why they hate Jews. And this is a convenient misinterpretation of Western theology. This was God blessing Hagar and her son. Do you don't see it? No, you don't see it because most of us have never been an oppressed enslaved people. I used to think wild donkey was bad. But let me explain you what Hagar heard. Your son and your descendants will be no one slave or beast of burden and will be able to defend themselves in their God-giving blessing of freedom against anyone who would try to oppress them, even the Jews. They would be able to fight for their dignity. Wow, that's so different, Pastor. It sure is. Why is this blessing so important to Hagar's broken situation? It was what she was trying to get on her own and mistreating Sarah and her barrenness. And Sarah was trying to get by by exploiting her fulfillment and freedom and right value and worth and fight and, and, and belonging. But at this point was now tainted and broken by their messed up attempts. But that is where and how the God of the Bible finds us. He finds us having messed it up. And he blesses us in our failed attempts, in our top, and in our topical application here, our failed attempts at sexual freedom, power, fulfillment, and healing. Look at verse 7 through 11 again with me. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Now jump down to verse 13. Uh, Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the one who sees me, God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one, capital O, who sees me? So that this well was named Berlahairoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. There's so much here, (laughs) y'all. But when the angel of the Lord asked Hagar in verse 8, Where are you coming from and where are you going? He's not asking her because he doesn't know himself. It's the Lord. He's asking her to make a point. Hagar, you are running, but you are coming from a messed up and broken place. And you are running to a further and unknown messed up and broken place. Hagar, there is no hope for your situation, but in a place you may have never been before are known before. When it comes to our sexuality and sexual practices, I'm going to assume something. Most of us have never been and known that place. A, A place that's not hopeless. A place of not being 
a beast of burden or enslaved. We've never known that place. Oh, we've forgotten. To know what it's like to experience love and grace and freedom in that area. We are always in a state of fear and condemnation and running and trying to guess what's next for us, our children, our community, and we make instinctual and convenient body and relationship decisions. And so it makes sense in our sexual struggles and curiosities and ignorance and appetites and abuses that verse 7, God has to find, and for some of you has found us because we're lost. And for those who do know the Lord, it's not once that he has found us in a sexual stupor or binge or, or dark place. Let me tell you, it is the story of the gospel. Did you know that's what the Bible is about? He's not found us in a good place. He's not found us as good people. He's found us there. Not because we were ever lost, but because in our sexual mess, God's blessing is that we are never lost to him. Now here is the craziness. He says, I hear your distress, your cry of distress. But God heard it. You know, it, it, but we don't read Hagar saying it, like distressing, but God heard it, which means he could hear. And then as Hagar says, he saw the deepest and most broken, dark and hidden and scarred parts of her. Here's the craziness. The Lord hears why you and I act out the way we do. He hears and sees the yearning for connection and pleasure and depression and things that have failed us and, and need for sexual healing even. He hears what we might not be able to express, but of indestructive and hidden ways expressed. And he sees where we have been and we have yet to know where we might be going. He sees the whole thing. He sees our whole dilemma, which is another way of saying the Lord knows what you are feeling and demanding and missing. He knows everything you have done. And he knows every of what's been wrongly done to you and by you. He still, though, wants to be yours and wants you to be his. He wants to bless us, especially, especially after seeing and hearing and knowing. God comes to answer. He comes to see, hear me, and be the redirect for Pornhub. As you go there, God sees it. He knows it. He wants to be the redirect right in the middle of your searching. This may seem sordid, but I don't want you to forget it. He wants to be the answer to the text of that person. He answers the call of our sexual need. but without fear, without shame and guilt to free you and me to do what? To trust and walk with him. 
You know, the greatest hope and freedom sometimes I've seen from my own sexual issues is having someone who sees, hears, and just gets me. Don't you love having somebody who gets you? But they're also hopeful and helpful to you being and getting much more than what you are. I want you to catch this. God sees and hears and knows not so you and I can get less. The Bible's offering a view of sexuality has never been God giving you a sense of sexual anorexia or imprisonment or oppression. That's what we put on it. Look again at verse 9, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then verse 12, it says this. This son of yours again will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against his relatives. You know what God's offering? God is offering and blessing with sexual freedom and power and strength and purpose, whether in married or single. And it might not appear now. How that is going to happen. Wait, it actually has appeared how this is going to happen. But maybe you don't know or have an experience in time and space how the Lord is going to overcome and going to overcome all the twists and turns and history of our sexual mess. But it has appeared how. Look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who has spoken to her. She says, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have, truly, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Berlathiroi, which means well of the living one who sees me. Hagar recognizes that this is no regular angel. And this is no regular spring. You know who she saw? She saw the Lord. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament with a definite article like that typically is a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus comes to our desert. He doesn't say, find me. <laughs> he doesn't say, get your mess together and you'll know me. He comes to our situation with eyes and ears and this is what having eyes and ears means. God gets you. Better than anyone else. That you don't have to get or got your own sexuality, right? God sent Jesus to get it and catch us. In all of our iterations, all of our diverse sexual issues and needs and wants and struggles, he is the God who sees and hears, which when you interpret these three things together, he sees, hears, and is there. It means that in Jesus, God has clearly and is clearly saying, I've got eyes for you. I want the sexual sinner as my child. I choose that one in the desert. <laughs> of all the people to pick, he picks the sexually broken to be in his family. I come for and have a heart for the sexual pervert. I want the sexually confused. I want to be the answer for their desires. 
I want to be with and live with and befriend and walk with and be family with you. In biblical language, biblical language, Jesus came and wants to be acquainted with the porn abuser and sexual abused and sexually abuser and the worst of the worst and the addict and the sexually anorexic and the sexually oppressed and oppressed. That is the crowd and folks and space Jesus lives in and hangs in. In fact, his blessing is born out of the lives of sexually twisted and crooked people. Right? He wants and has decided to plant his hope and put his, put his name and power on and in them. Not the good ones. Not the ones who look like they have it together. He doesn't see the one who see, he doesn't, who obviously don't see the one who sees them. Not the perfect, not just the virgin, right? Not, not the one, not the critical or the self-righteous, but to those who are bending a knee and struggling and falling and failing and tempted to bend the knee to the idol of sexuality day after day after day. And Jesus is the fountain for those who are fresh off sinning fresh and spiritually exhausted and condemned after a hookup, after a makeout session, after a porn session, after a, or a sexual issue. Because when you are done again and again, he will still be who he is. The living God who sees you and is with you and never will leave you or forsake you, even in the middle of your sin. You might run here and go there. I am right here, Jesus saying, never changing, never turning, never rejecting, always blessing and welcome you, sexual sinner and sexually sinned against. And this is what Jesus promising. Not that you will get better in the American sense of success. But do you know what getting better is? when you can better and more clearly see the one who sees and loves you. Oh, the whole goal of Christianity is for me to be good. No, the whole goal of Christianity is for you to be his. We're fighting with the wrong weapons. His love, his way is more than enough. We've been confused. We've been bamboozled. We've been hoodwinked, right? You thought this was about completely just, you know, that Christianity was about American success? That's another American idol all in it. What about just belonging and being loved because somebody just wants to? You ever heard of that? I have. It's the gospel. That's what transforms us. Oh, yeah, there are good therapists. There are good books. There are good methods out there. But none of them replace what Christ has done. You know, there's an irony here as I close. There's an irony. He says, return. Return to life. Return, working in front of a computer, right? 
Return with whatever stuff that makes you struggle. Return. But don't return the same. We have to be reminded. I mean, as believers, come on. I'm putting this sermon together and I'm like, please. Return to the one who's already turned towards you. Walk towards the one who you notice has been always walking with you. And like Ishmael, that blessing is yours. Freedom from oppression. A heart to fight for the love of God. For a savior who will fight for you and suffer violence for your behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. As we think about liberation, we think about freedom. It all starts here, not in the rules, not in the American victory story. But in you seeing us and we being able to see that you see and love and know and get us. So that we can return as blessed people of the promise of God's love. Lord, we're all going to go there this week. (laughs) In our thoughts. In our actions. In our histories in our remembrances, in our comparisons. The idol of sexuality will beg us to worship. Help us, Lord. Because we're going to be there. But Lord, help us to know you're going to be there too. In Jesus' name, amen.